everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Dearly Father, Lord, thank you for this day, and we thank you for this time that we have to be here this morning, gathered together to open up your word, to to be able to study uh, God's word together, Father. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, uh, that we would be attentive uh, and ready to hear what you have to teach us, Father, this morning. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, good morning. You may be seated. Hey guys, uh, before we kind of get into uh, the thick of it this morning, uh, we just want to touch on something quickly that Jeff talked about when he mentioned uh, Tuesday nights. Yes, first things first, we will come up with a name for it, don't worry. But uh, we are going to hand out a few things. We're going to have a few helpers uh, of mine, Luke and Trent. They're going to go around the room, and they're going to hand you a slip. They're going to hand you a pen. There should be enough for everybody. You guys can go ahead. Um, If you don't get a pen, just share it amongst yourselves. Um, But what I would like for you to do is you take a slip. Everybody, you can grab one. Every slip will say the same thing, and it says, what is on your mind? When you grab that slip, when you get one, and you, and you have the pen in your hand, I want you to write down maybe a, a question or something that God is doing in your life, or something that he's exposing in your life today. Um, one of the things that we've just talked about with Habakkuk is how he came to God and he asked questions. And my goal and my hope the whole premise of this is to be able to answer some of the hard questions that you have, right? I think what Pastor Eric had been doing with these hot topics uh, was excellent. And, and there's a lot of um, very controversial things that we live in uh, this world that we see on a day-to-day basis. And it's important for us to address those things and look at what the Bible says about them. And all I want to do is build upon that and take that one step further. Simply by asking you, the questions you have. Maybe it's pertaining to topics that he's talked about here in the past. Maybe it's questions you've just simply been asking God as of late. Just coming to him in prayer and and things that may have been on your mind. Maybe questions as to why certain things are happening. Why do certain things happen? Maybe somebody has asked you a question and you don't know the answer. You don't know how to respond. Maybe... Uh, you have a question that you've heard and you're curious about. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's not even a question and you form a question based on a situation you find yourself in and you don't know perhaps a solution, the right answer, and you'd like some guidance, some wisdom. I want to be able to offer you that. My responsibility as your pastor is to, yes, get you the right answers, to find those for you, but the honest truth is that sometimes I may not have that right away, immediately. And so what I want to do is do my due diligence to find those answers as best as I can for you. But in order to do that, I need to know what's on your guys' mind. And, and this is a way for us to do this in a um, anonymous style, right? There's anonymity to it. You can write down your name if you would like so we can have further conversations about it. Um, but this way I can hear from you and, and be able to not only get you the right answers, but m- give you a place, give you an environment where you can ask questions, where you feel heard, where we talk about the things that are in your day-to-day lives. And that's the point of what we're doing. 
And it's not going to be me just giving you guys my opinions on what I think is right and what I've seen from my own experience. I can incorporate that as best as I can, yes, but primarily it will be what does the Bible say about those things? What does God have to say about that? Because ultimately that is the source of everything that we talk about here, all of our beliefs, everything that we talk about on Sunday mornings and we'll talk about on Tuesdays. So again, as you fill those out, I, I please uh, recommend that you fill those out whether it's now or throughout the course of the meeting this morning and we're gonna collect that at the end. Uh, so we have a starting point, right? Some, we can... We can make some groundwork on what we'll be doing in the upcoming Tuesday meetings that we have. That being said, I kind of touched on it, but it is, you know, obviously no coincidence that today um, we're going to be talking about the Bible. Again, I said that that's the source of everything that we talk about, that we believe. We find all that in the Bible, God's truth. And that today is what we're going to be talking about in our series, Roots, as we go back to the basics. When we go back to the foundations of our faith. And today we're going to be looking at the book of, uh, book of Timothy, 2 Timothy specifically, this letter written to Timothy by Paul. We're going to be looking at chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. You can turn there and have your Bibles ready, but it'll also be on the screen. Before we kind of go into it, I just want to set up what's happening here, explain to you the context of what we find in this chapter. If you look at the book of Acts, if you look at uh, the history of Acts and how it ends in A.D. 60, Paul, at this point, is under house arrest. Eventually, he gets released, and he goes out, and he makes these trips to Ephesus, to Macedonia, to Crete, and more, but he is later rearrested in Troas, and he is taken to Rome. And in A.D. 64, around that time, Nero, he burns up Rome. And what he does is he blames the Christians. And obviously from that ensues this long period of where Christians will be persecuted. And as a result of that, Paul, he is put back in prison. And he's put back in prison in Rome. And this is not a very luxurious place for him. He is secluded. He is by himself in this dungeon, really. He's been abandoned for the most part at this point. The only one that he has is Luke who is the physician that we know as uh, the, of course, writer of the Gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts. And Paul, he is writing to Timothy this letter, one that uh, hopefully he can come and see him. He is writing in hopes that he would come visit him, but we know that doesn't happen. In A.D. 66, around that time, A.D. 67, he writes this letter, and shortly after, he is killed. He is beheaded, taken outside of Rome, and killed. But this letter is not just one uh, out to Timothy for him to come visit, but when he writes to Timothy, he is talking about specifically these doctrinal issues that are happening. He's talking about doctrinal purity, the way that God's word is being handled. At this point, he is writing because there have been people, um, these these teachers who are teaching these strange doctrines, and Paul is writing to Timothy so that he would rightly divide the word of God, that he would correctly approach the word of God. And as a servant of God, Timothy had the responsibility to be able to help those that were potentially going astray, being led astray by all of these false doctrines that are happening. 
So again, this is kind of why he is writing these things. Helps us understand, okay, this is the mindset that Paul has as he is writing to Timothy about, as we'll see today, the Bible. So if you will, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3 again. The first verse we're going to be looking at, you'll see it on the screen, is verse 13. It says, While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What jumps out here, uh, first and foremost for me, is this idea of will go on. In another translation, you might see will grow. This is meaning that it will continue to advance. It will proceed. He's saying here there are these evil people, these imposters that are taking these, these teachings that are not true, they're false, and it's growing. It's expanding. He just mentioned it. That's the context of this letter as we just talked about, and they're growing. And, and often when we think about progress, we think about it in a positive way. We think about progress, we think of things going well, but the connotation here is one that is negative. It's not positive at all. Really, if you look at this word um, specifically, will grow, it hints at, or the root of it is synonymous with almost like a smith who is forging metal. He's gradually beating this metal and it continues to lengthen out. It's this gradual thing that is happening. This message is growing slowly, just expanding, and over time, it will go from bad to worse. And another funny word here is imposter. Right? These imposters is almost like a like a surprise. I think of when I think of like imposter, I think of like a like a double agent or somebody that has been just, you know, tagging along and fooling people, tricking people. But what's interesting about an imposter specifically is that they give off the impression that they are part of the team per se, right? They're part of what is true. They, they, they fit in. Imposters, they're imposters because they are uh, in some ways enchanting, right? They are alluring. They use these pious words. They sound really attractive. They sound appealing. So people buy into what you're saying because of how they sound, because of how they look. And because of this, people are being deceived. So the first point that I think we need to be very careful about and we need to, and we need to take notice of as uh, Timothy is also instructed to do here and, and be on guard is the fact that people have always and will always oppose the Bible. And we are not to be deceived. Again, Paul is writing to Timothy about the presence of heresy, and he is doing that by reminding him that there has been heresy in the past. People have done this uh, for, for centuries. And they're doing it right now as well. Right? If we look at just the prior chapter, he talks about these men that are in Ephesus who are sharing this message, right? He talks about these imposters, these evil people, and he uses very specific examples. He talks about this, uh, these two men. He talks about Hymenius, and he also talks about uh, uh, Philetus. And he talks about these men who are sharing these things, and he says specifically that they are leading people astray with their babbling, and they're making people uh, well, they're turning people and leading them astray, going from uh, a place uh, to ungodliness. And what he is saying here is that it is spreading, and it is spreading like a cancer uh, in some translations. But again, 
It is going from bad to worse, something that is gradual and that will continue to happen. So much so that he also refers to the fact that this will continue to happen in the future. And that's why we talk about it today. That's why it's important for us to highlight the fact that, that this opposition, these lies are still present right now. And they're going to continue even long after us. When he talks about um, this, this heresy, he warns of the future. And he says this in the first verse of this chapter. It's not on the screen, but this is what he says. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulties. And when he talks about difficulties, he's also talking about, again, these evil people, these imposters. He says this specifically about them in verse 5, that they have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Again, be aware. People have always contradicted the Bible, have gone against it, and oftentimes they do so by seeming to be appealing by sounding so close to the truth that to the untrained ear, you even think that they are telling the truth, but they are not. So we cannot be deceived. He is warning Paul, or Paul's warning Timothy here in the direction that he is going in, in the direction that the people are going in, because evil men and these imposters will continue to increase, deceiving themselves and deceiving others. And that word deceiving that's something that we're very familiar with. We hear a lot, and we actually read about it quite a bit in the Bible. It comes up a lot as we read Scripture. We look at this word deceiving, and really it means to lead into error, to lead them astray, lead others astray away from truth. Certain examples that we see in the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. What is the warning there about? The warning there about is the people you hang around, the, the things you surround yourself with, those, those have influences in your life. Don't be deceived in, in thinking that they do not. They do. Another warning that we see is in Galatians. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The sinful actions of all of us have consequence. Again, do not be deceived. Do not deceive yourselves if, if you say you have no sin. It's 1 John 1 8. If we, do, if we do deceive ourselves in thinking we are without sin, we lie to ourselves. The truth is not in us. We cannot ignore the fact that we are sinners and that we sin. We are prone to, to give in to sin. We we forget that and we deceive ourselves. When we think about deceit, it's easy for us to um, grow frustrated, grow maybe upset or, or mad and, and, and angry towards the people that are deceiving others who have been deceived. But again, we can't forget that they have too been deceived. And if we are not on guard, if we don't walk in the light, if we're not careful, we can be as, uh, you know, just as easily deceived as well. So again, we have to be familiar with the truth, aware that there are people out there that you know, are contradicting Scripture, sure, very blatantly and, and flippantly, but other people as well who are false teachers who claim to be speaking truth and teaching the Word of God, but they are not. 
So be attentive to what you put in your minds and what you listen to and who you follow. Because we're called to be attentive to those things, to be careful, to be watchful, and not to be deceived. One of the things that we do then, right, in order to live a life of real truth then is use the Bible. (laughs) Pretty self-explanatory. If we don't want to be deceived, the best tool that we have in order to do that is the Bible. The Bible is the single greatest tool that we have in order to uh, know and understand what truth really is because that's where we find it. And we are called to abide in it. That's what Paul is telling Timothy to do here. The next verse, he says this in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it. Timothy, of course, obviously, he he learned from Paul who the Lord is, but he knew who God was from an early age. We know that if we read uh, the book of Acts, we see in the book of Acts how Luke, he talks about Timothy's parents. He talks about his father, who was a Greek, who was most likely not saved, but his mother was a Jewish woman. His mother was a believer who knew Jesus, had a relationship with with, with God, believed in God. And uh, Paul, he also talks about her, Eunice, his mother, but he also mentions his grandmother, Lois. And he talks about how these two women, they knew the Lord, and they taught Timothy at a very young age who he was. And he grew up learning about who God was. He learned the scriptures. So what Paul is telling Timothy here is like, hey, listen, all of these people are being deceived. Spreading, things are going from bad to worse. People are being deceived. People are deceiving themselves. But as for you, look at what you have learned. Continue in it. Abide in it. You know the things that your mother has taught you, the scriptures that you've read that you know and you firmly believe. That's what he's saying here. Firmly believe things that he knows to be trustworthy. All the things that we know, abide in it. And abide is not this mystical thing that we have to work to achieve, right? When we think of abide, we think of, it's very, it's not part of our vocabulary, really. It's different. It's not what we make it out to be, per se. Abide, it it is this present imperative. It's a command for us to continue to remain, to continue to do something, to continue to stay and remain in God's word, God's truth, the things that we know. Do not forget the things that we know. How often do we sit here and we hear the same message and we forget? We should remain, abide in God's word. Keep it at the forefront of our minds. That's how we are not deceived. That's what he's saying here. While everybody's being deceived, you, on the other hand, Abide in God's word. Continue in it. Again, he's saying, remain in the things that you have been assured of. Continue and stay in the same direction you have been on. And he's been on this direction. He's been on this course since his childhood. We find that again. We see that in verse 14, how he knew of this 
at an early age, and he again emphasizes this in verse 15. He says, in from childhood, you have been acquainted with sacred writings. Again, he knows God's word. His mother, his grandmother, taught him the scriptures. He knows and is familiar with these sacred writings. And Paul tells him to do this. He tells him to stay again, uh, abiding to remain in Scripture, but he says this because we are able to be made wise. It says that Scripture is able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Scripture is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There's a few things that are interesting about this in verse 15. One, when Paul is saying, obviously, is able, again, we have to understand that Scripture is able, capable, has the power and the strength to do that. That's what that means. But what's interesting here, when he talks about being made wise, when it makes us wise, when it gives us understanding, he is talking about Scripture. He's talking about these sacred writings. But when he's talking about these sacred writings, he's talking about the Old Testament. That's... That's what they had at their disposal. They didn't have the, the full Bible that we have today, which includes the New Testament. But when he is writing these things, he's talking about the Old Testament. And yet, although we think, well, Jesus, he only comes later on. He only shows up in the New Testament. How, how's that possible? How's the story of Jesus at all in the, in the Old Testament? That's the beautiful thing about God's word is that... Even in the Old Testament, we look at throughout the beginning of time, there has been this plan for Jesus to come. And we find that. We see the story of salvation in the Old Testament. He gives us, um, he gives him that example. He tells him that reminds him. But I will look at that today. We'll see that it's very evident. We see that we are sinners. If you look at the book of Psalms in chapter 14, verse 3, it says, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. We are all sinners. We all fall short. And the Messiah would pay for our sins. Jesus would come one day and pay for our sins. And we see this in Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he has crushed, oh, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We find salvation, life through faith. We find salvation, life through faith. Genesis 15. And he believed the Lord, and he counted him as righteous. And even Habakkuk, we remind ourselves that we just went over that uh, book together in our study. We know that the righteous shall live by faith. We see in the Old Testament how God's plan was uh, there from the beginning, right? Since the fall of man, God put together this plan to send his son to die for us. The story of salvation is there very clearly, very evidently in the Old Testament, just as it is in the Gospels, in the New Testament. So, again, he says, abide in it. Remain in it. Because in it, we are made wise and we can be saved. We know how to be saved through God's word. Well, again, with all that being said, understanding, okay, well, people have always opposed the Bible. People have always gone against the Bible, and they will continue to do so. They will continue to twist the Bible and say uh, different things that are 
contradicting it, we should not and cannot and should avoid others that are doing so in order to keep ourselves from being deceived. Instead, we should remain and abide in God's truths. But what is the Bible then? What are those truths? What is the Bible really is the question that we're going to be answering here as Paul continues to expand on the, the significance, the power of the Bible. And the off chance that maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you've never set foot in a church before. Maybe you never come to Maranatha and you've been to another church that have said different things. Maybe you're listening to this and you're not very familiar with Christianity. But I would still guess and presume that even those people, even you, yourself, you have at least a limited knowledge and understanding of what the Bible is, right? Most people at least understand and accept the Bible as being a book that Christians follow, a book that Christians read. That's a pretty basic, or should read, that's a pretty basic understanding of the Bible, pretty worldwide understanding. Even if you don't believe it, you could care less about it, at least you have that understanding. You have it, this understanding that's associated with Christianity. Now, what's surprising and what's unfortunate is that the reality, the truth is, that even some who are professing believers, people who claim to be followers of Jesus, still defining it, and maybe even explaining the Bible isn't as clear-cut as you would imagine. Which is incredible, because the Bible is the source of what we believe. But yet, if put in an opportunity in a place where they have to explain God's word, they have to explain the Bible, the truth that we find in the Bible, explain it, justify it perhaps, perhaps defend it, they're not able to. Would you be able to? I mean, I get that we have some general idea of what the Bible is, but do we understand what it is? Because I, th- I I'd hope that if we truly understand what the Bible is, we would have a greater appreciation and value for what it truly is. Here Paul is going to enlighten us in some sense. He, he again reemphasizes what the Bible is to Timothy, and I think we can learn a lot from this. Maybe you already know these truths, but I want to, again, just as he did, reiterate these truths to us this morning. What is the Bible then? This is what Paul is saying. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, instruction in righteousness. Here it is. The Bible is God's Word. All of it. And that's important. And before we get into the Bible being God's word, before we get into the inspiration of Scripture, inspired by God, breathed out by God, I want to just touch on that latter uh, point there that we read, and it's all of it. When he says here, he says, all Scripture. Paul does not say some Scripture is inspired by God. When he says all, he is meaning the entirety of it, the whole, everything. So if you hear somebody say, The Bible contains the word of God. That is incorrect. The Bible doesn't contain the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. All of it is. You don't pick and choose what what is and what is not. 
And if you believe that, then you find yourself in a really tricky situation because who determines what is the word of God and what isn't? All of it is the word of God, all scripture. And again, we might ask ourselves another question then, and as we've already talked about, when he's talking about scripture here, he's talking about the Old Testament. So what does that mean? Does that mean that all scripture, specifically the Old Testament, is the word of God? Well, not necessarily. Let's look at what Peter is saying during the same time that Paul is writing these things. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3. In verse 15, he says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Notice how he is addressing Paul's writings here. He is putting them with scripture. He is acknowledging, he's acknowledging them excuse me, as scripture. And it's not long before the early church, they take what we consider the New Testament and they acknowledge those writings as scripture as well. It's widely understood that this was made official uh, at what is known as the Council of Nicaea, and that only happened later on in A.D. 365, but it was only a few years after Paul had actually written all these things that the early church fathers embraced this as an inspired and authoritative writing, the New Testament. And again, now when we get to the section, breathe out by God, inspired, right? Inspired by God, written under his inspiration. When we read that all scriptures breathe out by God, it's kind of confusing, but Peter, again, he writes this, and it helps us understand a little bit what he is saying here, what this means. It's, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we see that throughout the writing of the Bible, the author is the same. The author is God himself, and he is actively actively involved in the revelation of the truths that he has for the apostles and the prophets that are writing it. What we see here is the Holy Spirit working through these specific individuals who have, of course, their unique personalities. And we read that. When we read the Bible, we see different characteristics. We see personalities. We see different people writing different things, right, in their own way, in their own styles. However, the Holy Spirit makes it so that each time that they are moving and writing, all of them are transmitted without error. Now, how can I know for sure that this is the work of God? How can I know for sure that the Bible is God's word, that God is behind this book? How do we know for sure that this book wasn't just written by a bunch of maniacs, these lunatics that are obsessive uh, almost like cult followers, these bigots. How do we know that that is not the case? How do we know that God truly wrote this? Well, let me just kind of lay a few things out there for us. For starters, there's a difference between this book, God's Word, the Holy Bible, as opposed to any other of the holy books for any other religious uh, religions out there, in that the Bible has endured and has been proven throughout 
several different centuries. As we had aforementioned already, people have opposed the Bible forever, and they continue to do so, and they will, so, they will still do so, and the Bible has been constantly under attack, and everyone, or at least someone, in every generation, claims to be or wants to be, sets out to be the person that exposes its reliability, that points out its flaws, that brings an end to the Bible. And I just want to remind you that they've all failed. They have yet been able to accomplish that. And the arguments that we hear against the Bible today, they're not new. They've been around, and people have used them for centuries and every time it does not work the bible prevails the collection of books that we have that together compose the bible they were written over 2,000 years they were written over 2,000 years by 40 some different authors under the inspiration of god in three different continents and although the bible it talks about some of the most controversial subjects that we find in the world today, from start to finish, it is consistent. There is no contradiction in the Bible. How is it so that over 2,000 years, over 40 authors, in different areas of the world, they are all writing the same thing, consistent, if you like facts, let me give you some as well. The Bible is the most quoted book of all time. It is the most translated book of all time. It is the most influential book of all time, and it has had the most impact on the world out of any other book in all of history. And while all those things are true, it is also true that it is the most persecuted book of all time as well. And yet... It has not failed. And on top of all those things that make it very unique, there is another. And this one is incredible. The Bible, and we've seen it already this morning, and we've studied this already in the book of Habakkuk, but it is prophetic. I'll tell you something that no other religious text out there or anything else does like the Bible does, and that is the fulfillment of prophecy how the Bible uniquely talks about things that are to come. Specifically, for example, the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus was prophesied, him alone, over 300 times. We see that his birthplace, Bethlehem, was prophesied. That John the Baptist was prophesied about, who would come and pave a way for him. That his crucifixion, his resurrection was prophesied about. We see as well other prophecies that were prophesied thousands of years before it actually even happened. We see that the people going into captivity for 400 years in Egypt was prophesied about. That the Babylonians would capture Egypt, oh, capture the uh, people of God. That was prophesied about. And we also saw how God had spoken of what would happen to the Babylonians. We see time and time again that only God only he knows what is to come. Only he knows the future. He is omniscient. He knows all things. And he has revealed that to us. No other book, no other religion, nothing else contains 
to the size and scope of the prophecy that we see in the Bible. And even with all that being said, even though I've laid out all this proof for you, it still requires a step of faith. You still have to believe that this is God's word. But let me tell you that you can too have the confidence that I have wholeheartedly in that this is God's word. You can have that same confidence. And if you do, if you understand that this truly is the word of God, it is life transforming. It has life transforming power. The Bible is not some ancient artifact. It's not something that's outdated, that we cannot use, that it's irrelevant, but it is alive. And it is able to transform our lives. It is powerful. It is profitable, as we will conclude this morning. It is useful and beneficial to our lives. The Bible, God's word, is useful. And Timothy, he hears from Paul these four practical things that I want us to look at this morning, really quick, as we close. Four things. How is the Bible useful? For doctrine. And, and when we think of doctrine, we think of this fancy theological uh, things, but really it's simply talking about teaching. We can learn. We can understand. We can have teaching, instruction in God's word. We see that on the Sermon of the Mount, that people were astonished with his teachings, Right? When I come here, that's why I don't share about my own experiences. I'm not basing our Sunday messages on what I think is right, my opinions. I'm not here to share about signs or, or your type this, your type that, so this is why things happen in your life and this is why things go like that. No, I'm not here to talk about myself or anybody else for that matter. I'm talking about God's word, the Bible. That is the focus, the center of what we believe and the center of what we're gonna teach on. It's enough, it's sufficient. I don't need to add to it, take from it, and, and do all these fancy things because it is enough. It is sufficient for teaching. The Bible is also useful for reproof. Who here likes to be convicted for the things that they do that are not right? Nobody. Nobody raised their hand. I'm not surprised. Jesus also knew that. Jesus knows that we don't like being convicted. The idea here is not conviction and, and when we hear that verse, when we go to a brother, right, if they, if they wrong you, go to that brother, that sister in this case. It's not about getting them to believe and, and, and do what you want based on your opinion, based on them offending you. It's simply getting aligned with God's word. God's word serves as a conviction for us. It convicts us of the things that we know we should not do. And what comes after that, the next step, after conviction, after reproof, is correction. With that understanding of the things, that conviction that we know we are wrong, comes correction. Where we turn, where we pivot. When we come to God, and the root of that word is to be made upright, to straighten our paths. The Bible is able to teach us, to convict us, to straighten our paths. Get us in line with God, and then lastly, instruction and in righteousness. Gets us back in line with God and instructs us. It trains us. The Bible is not just going to give us all the tools that we need and then say, hey, go figure it out. No, the Bible, it shows us, it equips us, it helps us mature and grow in our faith. And that is what this is. Instruction and in righteousness is all about maturity, growth, learning, 
Sometimes we go through different things that are difficult. We go through situations that we may not want to go through. Habakkuk went through struggles. He went through difficult times as we heard and we've seen time and time again. And you've even gone through these things in your life where you can't understand how God is working, but why these things are happening. And yet God is working through them. And through that process, you are made mature and you grow. And we have the responsibility to be able to come alongside other people and help them grow. The people in this room, to encourage them to walk alongside them, but even the people right next door, the middle schoolers, to help them, to walk alongside them, to encourage them as they also mature in their faith. That is our responsibility. Those four things, we see that the Bible equips us. Lastly, here, the last verse, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We have good things to do for God. And God, he equips us with his word. We are his worksmanship. God wants to do great things to you and he equips us to do those things through God's word, through his truths. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the time that we have together to learn about your word. Learn about what it is and what it means and what it represents. Lord, we understand that we are so blessed and privileged to have your holy words at our disposal, Lord the God who created the universe, our Father, Lord. We can hear from you and understand what you've called us to, what, you, what you've written. We can have salvation by being made wise through your text, Lord, understanding how we can be saved through faith, coming to you and believing in your Son, Jesus. And we see how uh, your Bible, uh, your word, it, it says that from the beginning, Lord. Shows us that and points to that, Lord. Again, we are thankful that the Bible it teaches us, convicts us, that it trains us, and that it equips us for every good work, Lord. We thank you. Again, I pray that we not take this book for granted. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.